I have a question. Do you remember when there was only one TV channel in New Zealand? And, and the excitement when we moved to two channels? 1975. And do you know what family tension this introduced to the household? <laughs> yeah, what the, yeah, and then with the remotes, I think it got a little bit worse, didn't it? Because who had the remote was king. And so there was plenty of things to argue about, wasn't there? And of course now, um, with Freeview and Sky and Netflix, there are hundreds of options and potentially hundreds of arguments you could have over to what to watch. But I suppose fortunately technology has given us uh, different screen options in the same house and recording and all sorts of things. Our household follows a common theme, a little bit simpler now the children have left. And so Judy can't understand why I watch war documentaries and sport channels, and neither can the kids actually. And, uh, and I struggle with Judy's lovely taste in things like Call the Midwife, One Born Every Minute, <laughs> Highland Midwives. You see a little bit of a theme going here. Now, fortunately, there are a number of programs we enjoy watching together. But I must have struggled with those birthing programs that Judy's fascinated with. And, and I understand why. I know her pregnancies were very special and they were lovely and we were blessed with good health in and, and those times. And she worked as a nurse at the neonatal unit in Dunedin where she got paid to cuddle wee babies and other things as well. Uh, there was a, one moment, I must admit, I did sit down and watch a few minutes of The Scottish Midwife. I didn't even know that was a programme really. The midwife said she'd been over the 250 births and every one of them was special. And every one of them was a miracle. And I thought, that's really special, isn't it? And it's, it's true. And we have a new church baby associated. Paul and Jocelyn Johnston are a brand new grandparents again. Naomi and Stefan had a wee baby yesterday. And the name is Hannah Marie, 7.3 pounds. And so even though it's not our baby... It's still very special to hear, and we look forward to seeing the photos and all that. It's wonderful. And Psalm 139 picks up with that fascination and, and joy of, of the, the unborn child and then, of course, the wonderful birth. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So this is the third and final message from Psalm 139. Uh, last year we looked at God was all-knowing. He knows everything. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. So God is all-knowing. Uh, and then we looked at God being all-present. Uh, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It then describes whether he can go to the, the highest heavens or the depths of the sea or the farthest that you can travel. And then in verse 10, he says, Even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So God is all-present. And today we're looking at God as all-powerful. And David could have chosen to describe God's power over creation or his power over the nations, but instead... David chooses to describe God's power with the awe and the sensitivity of a wee baby developing in his mother or her mother's womb. It's very special, isn't it? My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together 
in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body. It's wonderful, isn't it? And then he goes on, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came into being. So with poetry and imagination, God's power is shown unfolding in the creation of a wee human being. And notice David also describes a book where the days of the developing fetus are already laid out, where God knows in all detail beforehand. And though this psalm chooses to focus on growth in the womb, there's also hints at God's all-powerfulness as we progress through our days, even to the end. That verse 18 where David writes, when I awake, I am still with you. A number of Bible scholars believe he's referring to when he dies. And in his death, he then awakes to be with the Lord God. So there's a sense of God being with us from before we were born until after we die. There's a lovely passage in Isaiah 46 that picks up on this sort of from cradle to the grave. Isaiah 46 from verse 3. Listen to me, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. So this lovely passage in Isaiah 46 sort of bookends Psalm 139, which talks about our birth and conception, and this passage in Isaiah 46 picks up on that conception, but also the sustaining even into our old age. So there's a lovely comfort when we put those two passages together. From cradle cap to grey hair, God sustains and is with us. Now, If we go back to Psalm 139, there are some implications for us, and there's two I want to briefly cover two implications of this lovely passage. And one is in the area of abortion. It's quite an emotive topic within the church and within the wider community. And of course, with the the moves to change the abortion laws, it's quite topical. But let me ask you this. When, when does life begin? It's an important question, isn't it? Now, in, in biblical days... Greek thought held that life began when the mother sensed movement. Well, that's quite lovely, isn't it? So when the mum can first feel a bit of movement, in Greek thought, in Jesus' day, that was when they thought life began. But of course, modern science will tell you that the baby's moving an awful lot earlier than when mum can first sense it. In our time, some people define life beginning when the baby can survive outside the womb. But with modern technology... Early-term babies can now survive from very young ages. And, of course, Judy was astounded, and this would have been 12 years ago now. Judy was quite astounded, even then, about the technology and how lovely it was that these babies could be saved. But very sad in that in the same building there were some other babies that were very similar age that were being aborted. It was quite a, quite a tension within the medical community. Another measure for life is brain activity. But brain activity can be measured way before the current cutoff time for abortion. So when does life begin? Well, Psalm 139 answers this question emphatically. God declares that life begins at conception, not from some arbitrary time decided by a government or by medical opinion. And so Psalm 139, with that Isaiah passage, have profound implications on how we see abortion. 
And as I said, it's, it's a very emotive topic and one where the Christian voice, I think, has quite significant contribution to make into our community. So that's the first implication. I, if, if that came up in a conversation, I would be going to Psalm 139 and then put that passage of Isaiah 46 alongside to show the biblical view of life and when it begins. The second implication or for us is that phrase, six words, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Powerful words for each of us. In the 70s, there was a helpful phrase often used in church circles. I'm sure you've heard of it. God does not make junk. Have you heard that? It used to be quite common. Yeah, God does not make junk. And it was very topical in the 70s, certainly in the circles where I travelled. And it's quite profound. It's true, isn't it? God doesn't make junk because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we need to be reminded of this more often than we think. For life is tough and the world and Satan and even our low self-esteem often tells us we're worthless. Sometimes it's a nagging whisper. Other times it's a shout. Often when we feel that we've let ourselves or others down, then we really do feel worthless. Some of us may have heard it from a parent who should have known better. You're worthless. And our hearts were crushed. Some of us may have heard it from a spouse and it still cuts us deep. Others may have heard from a sports coach or from a boss or someone we thought was a friend. You're worthless and we still carry the scar. But it's good to be reminded that it's God's word that defines us, not other people's misconceptions. Today we need to be reminded that God here, speaking from his father heart, is saying, I don't make junk, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're special, I'm proud of you. Look to me, I define who you are, not the hurt or the rejection that you carry. In many respects, this is why Jesus came. Jesus himself, who is all-powerful, we know he's all-powerful, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So that lovely beginning to the Gospel of John reminds us that Jesus is all-powerful, all-wonderful, the exact representation of God's radiance. And he comes to us offering the love, acceptance and forgiveness. Christ says, I don't make junk. Satan, the thief, he comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And as we come to share around the communion table, come and share the bread broken and the blood shed, there's a reminder that the all-powerful Jesus Christ understands that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And though we're broken, he has come to cleanse and heal and restore. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He has come to restore us to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray.